Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Roberts, the co-CEO and founder of Iris Energy. Thanks for joining us on Talking Tech today, Dan. Pleasure, Elise. Great to be here. Great. Let's kick off by telling us about what does Iris Energy do? So we're a sustainable Bitcoin mining data center business. We own and operate our own proprietary data centers. So we own a portfolio of land and data center projects, principally across North America today, and are using that space to install Bitcoin mining machines, generate Bitcoin and, and liquidating that on a daily basis. Now, you make it sound very simple, you know, <laughs> but again, you're one of our first kind of mining cryptocurrency that we've had on here. So in practice, what is it that you have to do and why do you need to go mining these coins? Can you simplify even like the origins of the problem that you're solving? Yeah, for sure. And look, it does seem a little bit complex from the outside. It's a new industry, people wrapping their heads around it, took us some time. But when you boil it down, it's actually not that complicated, like a lot of things in life. So basically, mining is the process of securing the blockchain. So this is what gives Bitcoin all its weight and anchors it down in the real world because every 10 minutes you've got the miners expending large amounts of power and computing power on securing this network. So if you ever wanted to try and tamper with it, you'd have to overcome gigawatts and gigawatts, billions of dollars of expenditure scattered around the world. So it's so far proven to be very, very difficult, if not impossible. So every 10 minutes, there's an amount of Bitcoin available to the miners globally. There is two sources of Bitcoin. One is inflation of the underlying number of Bitcoin in circulation. So 12 years ago, there was zero. Today, there's almost 19 million. And then the last Bitcoin is mined in the year 2140. So the number of Bitcoin released every 10 minutes halves every four years which actually corresponds generally to these parabolic run-ups that you see in the Bitcoin price. Economics 101, demand supply, take out half the supply, price tends to go up and then... (laughs) So that's the first source of revenue. Second source of revenue is transaction fees. So every time someone transacts on the blockchain, they need to attach a fee to that transaction in order to incentivize a miner like us to include that in the block that we stamp on the network. So every 10 minutes, there's... Transaction fees plus block subsidy, that's available to the global miners. That is then effectively allocated according to the number of computers you dedicate to the network. So if you've got 1% of the global computing power or hash rate, you'll get 1% of those coins effectively. So it's really quite predictable in Bitcoin denominated terms. Every day we receive the expected number of Bitcoin, we liquidate to US dollars, withdraw that to our bank account, pay the power bill at the end of the month and pocket the rest as profit. Okay, I think I kind of understand that. And do you look at it with a geographic footprint to say, hey, I'm getting my balance sheet or I'm getting my dollars from this market or that market or is it just everywhere and it's unpredictable? Our focus has really been on targeting markets with a heavy renewables penetration and also an energy market where problems need to be solved. So we've seen this evolution of energy markets globally over the last decade. And there's a number of factors at play, declining manufacturing industrial loads in Western economies, build out of residential rooftop PV, reducing net retail demand. And then all these supply side decarbonisation policies just pushing wind and solar onto these grids without a price signal 
and without really catering for the intermittency of those generation sources. So what we can do with these facilities is we're geographically flexible. We can basically do this off a 4G internet connection. We don't need to, but they're really flexible. We go and locate close to the source of these low-cost renewables that have effectively been overbuilt. Power is negative priced or curtailed entirely, and we can mop up all that surplus power. And then the nature of these facilities is while the machines are on, they're generating Bitcoin, as I outlined. While they're off, they're not. So we can actually throttle down the frequency of these chips dynamically and reduce and up and down our energy consumption. So they're the perfect for responding to market conditions into these electricity networks and providing that demand side battery to absorb the intermittent nature of wind and solar. Okay, I think I get it. <laughs> but I want to know more about this industry as a whole. When we go and we look at, you know, your traditional stuff stocks, we'll go and say, all right, what is this addressable market and what is it growing at? Do we look at your market as a more sustainable style of energy and those guys that are looking into that TAM or do we identify it as the growing Bitcoin cryptocurrency market? How do you define your market and then what do you see as those growth rates? So I think the market initially in terms of Bitcoin, it's almost a trillion-dollar asset class. I think people have now accepted it's here to stay, even as its simplest narrative as gold 2.0, it's still 5% the market cap of gold, but it's better at being gold than gold is. More transferable, scarcer, more divisible. So I think it's just one of those classic product market fit. It's going through the adoption cycle. Rewind 10 years ago when YouTube was 5% the uh, market cap of Blockbuster, right? It just takes time and, and awareness. And so it feels like we're on that trajectory. But what we're building this data center platform is like we're locking up low cost renewables, building these data centers globally into this entire kind of electrification, digitization transition the world's going through. Like everything is going online. You know, we've got the metaverse, you look at movies like the Ready Player One, the Matrix, like these exponential demand drivers. But this linear analog world of building real world energy and infrastructure and the real world energy data center infrastructure is lagging. It can't keep pace with this exponential digital world. And that's the opportunity. Interesting. Great movies. Have watched those ones. <laughs> Let's move on to the competitive landscape. Who do you see as your main competitors? So there's probably 15 to 20 listed miners. They're all principally centred around the US. There's a couple of others that own and operate their own infrastructure, but there's a variety of business models. Like the sector's maturing, emerging and evolving very quickly. We've kind of moved from shipping containers and old abandoned warehouses and people rigging up these computers, you know, in their parents' basements through to, I guess, the next wave of institutional grade infrastructure, building assets for the long term, looking after the computers. So there's a number of good quality businesses. We're doing our bit. We're having fun doing it. And um, at the end of the day, there's a there's a big industry out there and there's going to be a lot of winners. That's what I just am curious about. How do you differentiate yourself and do you need to differentiate it? Or is it more of a market, at least at the phase that we're in now, about it's beyond even an oligopoly. I always feel like that word isn't encompass what you've got going on. Yeah, I mean, the constraint is not competition. The constraint is on the market and physically building this infrastructure to try and keep pace with the price of Bitcoin. Like, you just can't. Back when Bitcoin was small yeah. and it goes up in price, 
you can find a few hundred megawatts of power and chips, but Bitcoin a couple of years ago already had eight gigawatts of power globally securing it. Mm. It then went 5X from, you know, eight to 10 grand to 40 to 50 grand. That move fundamentally changed the industry to try and normalise returns and have competition actually matter. You now need 30 gigawatts of power. The entire global data center industry is only like 23. So the size of the market has expanded so quickly, so rapidly because of this digital exponential store of value. Mm -hmm. But you can't just click your fingers and conjure up, you know, 50, 70 billion dollars worth of infrastructure overnight. Mm. And I guess that becomes for you a barrier to entry. Guys like yourself who have been a bit ahead of the curve on building out some of those assets and capturing those facilities, if I stay started and wanted to start doing what you're doing, even if the market's massive, I assume it require a material amount of costs and capex that that becomes a barrier, would you say? Yeah, that's exactly right. And particularly now that the computers are becoming more commoditized, you know, historically, whoever was designing these chips had a competitive advantage, but now everyone's got access to the same technology. It's basically all about access to capital markets and being able to build large operating infrastructure businesses. And yes, undoubtedly, the, the players that got started several years ago that have got that kind of critical mass momentum, access to capital, their ability to continue scaling rapidly versus, I guess, starting up today and having to wait two years to get your first 100 megawatts online, then have to navigate your way around buying the chips and bringing it all together. Yeah, I think there's a natural kind of barrier to entry emerging or at least preservation of competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah, a bit of first mover advantage there. Good segue for economics of the business. So how does the funding work in terms of is it that you require capital on an ongoing basis to continually capturing more and more or is there a bit of a economies of scale that comes through? Can you talk to some of those financiers and how we should think about when trying to model a business like this? For example, if I look at a tech company, I can think, well, it's sales and marketing will probably as a percentage of sales come down or the R&D might come down as well. I feel like this business is, is different, but I'd, I'd love to hear it from you, Dan. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly economies of scale in the construction and procurement process. When you're buying large volumes of anything, tend to get a a cheaper price, whether it's the hardware and the computers, it's the data center construction components, steel, concrete, transformers, et cetera. Absolutely. There's also economies of scale with capital markets, right? We all know it's easier to raise $400 million on attractive terms than it is to raise $4 million. It's just the nature of how institutional capital markets Work. So I think all of that absolutely plays into it. I mean, where we're at as a business today in terms of what we've publicly announced is we've secured 15 exahash of chips, which won't mean a lot to you, but the global network's around 190 to 200 today. So it's a reasonable portion. We're in the process of installing that across a variety of sites in British Columbia and Texas. Based on current market conditions, if that 15 exahash was operating, it would be generating around $800 million of annualised mining profit. That's about a billion dollars worth of capex. So that gives you an indication for the return on investment. And then in terms of unit economics on an operating basis, there's two ways to think about it. One is our cost per Bitcoin mined, which is well and truly sub $10,000 a coin versus the current market price of 40, 42,000 US a coin. 
Or the other way to think about it is in kilowatt hour terms. So we're monetizing power at call it 25 cents US a kilowatt hour. And our cost base is sub four cents a kilowatt hour. So either way you cut it, it's just two sides of the same coin. It shows that you're kind of looking at that 80, 90% operating margins. And then you've got a little bit of corporate overheads on top of that. That's obviously very scalable compared to the underlying projects cost. Those are definitely uh, comparable tech margins <laughs> in that 90% range. And it seems like you've got a lot going on within the business. And um, for those who aren't aware, this is a listed stock. I should have clarified that at the start. Can you talk about some of the strategies that you've put out there over the next, say, six to 12 months? Yeah. So we are listed. We listed on the NASDAQ last November. JP Morgan, City, Canaccord led that. In terms of the strategy, it's really simple. Like we can deploy capital and generate the returns that we are. And we've spent so many years iterating our proprietary data center design, which yesterday for the fifth month in a row got published as the most efficient operating model in the sector out of the listed miners. It's really just head down, bum up, just keep executing, keep delivering. We've assembled a fantastic team of individuals across traditional data center, renewables, infrastructure, backgrounds. We're not really crypto or blockchain people. We're building a real asset data center business. And the highest, best use of that today is clearly Bitcoin. Fantastic. And then one of the last questions is just around M&A. What's your appetite there? Do you see economies of scale from businesses coming together in your space, do you think? Or is it adjacencies that could be out there? Anything that you've publicly said would be useful? Look, I think so far as Bitcoin mining goes, we don't see the rationale for us to do that. Yes, there's a variety of historical legacy businesses with different business models that kind of might make sense. But when we've got such enormous organic growth prospects where we've owned a really significant development pipeline, we can deploy the capital, we can build it ourselves. There's no rationale to ever go and pay a premium in M&A. We'll just do it ourselves. But when it comes to considering potential future diversification, this isn't a focus right this second, but if we wanted to, say, get into green hydrogen or high-performance computing, then maybe M&A could make sense in that sense. But today, it's really an easy focus just to keep deploying our own um, growth prospects. Fantastic. And so thank you once again, Dan Roberts, co-CEO and founder of Iris Energy. So again, it is a listed stock on the NASDAQ, but an Australian company. And I think that's something that we're trying to do on here is educate our investors about some of these homegrown cryptocurrency, Bitcoin type of names. So hopefully we get a bit more appetite in our market. Thanks, Elise.